you got to get passionate about this thing. If the cross doesn't move you, nothing will move you. I'm offering you something that's greater than silver and gold. I'm offering you something that's greater than an increase in your pay on your job. I'm offering you a... There's no shortcuts to the glory. We've got to get past week-to-week living. We've got to multiply our prayer life. We've got to multiply our efforts. And we are willing to give. God will always give it back to us in good measure. That is pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Hey, thanks for checking out our Christian Life Church podcast. You will be hearing from one of our pastors or guest speakers, either at our Frankfurt or Lebanon campus. Prepare your hearts and your minds to receive a word from God. Thanks for listening. Enjoy and receive this message. chapter 15, 13 through 17 reads like this, greater love hath no man than this, that a man that would lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if ye do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known to you. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, that he may give it to you. These things I command you, that ye love one another. I know a lot of times I give what I like to call an upfront contract, and I'll do it tonight. I don't plan on being more than about 40 minutes. Is that all right? 
listen, I looked at the weather, it's still 76 degrees, and I get it. If I could take us all outside, I would. That means they can't take that live stream with it. <laughs> Amen. I don't know about you. Maybe you should preach and then go back and watch yourself, and you'll wish they'd shut it off too. But I'm thankful that we get to be here, even in this beautiful, perfect spring-slash-summer day. Feels like we don't have spring much, but I'm grateful. Amen. Might not have been a hard winter, but it was long enough, and I'm thankful for the heat. Bless the Lord. Tonight, by the grace of God, we're going to pray over this, but I want us to pray, and the title that I've chosen for tonight is Learning to Grow. Learning to Grow. If you wouldn't mind putting your Bibles down and maybe close your eyes if you're comfortable, if you feel like raising a hand, but I want God to just have his way in us tonight with that thought in mind. Lord, I pray tonight that you would help us, Jesus. Help us, Lord, to grow in all ways, God. I know my pastor's preaching, and I want to echo his voice. Lord, I pray that in all I say and do, Lord God, that it would edify the kingdom. Lord, that it would bring unity, Lord, to the body and to the church. And I pray, God, that you'd have your way through all of it, Lord Jesus. Touch us tonight, God. Touch every soul, Lord, those that are hurting and needing some sort of comfort from you, God. I pray that your word would be ever steady and ready. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen. You may be seated. Most of you have endured my teaching and preaching, and I don't plan on being any different tonight. If you haven't, I go all over the place. And I try to make sense at the end if I can, if I feel like the Lord will just let me remember what I talked about. But I hope to go on a journey with you tonight. And my journey actually started not just a few weeks ago and, and knowing that this date was coming and asking the Lord, Lord, what would you have me to say? But on top of that, I had an opportunity this morning. Our job is, um, is very busy in the nice weather times. And so this week and uh, the past few weeks, it's not a big deal to just work overtime if we had to to get something done because the next day might be a scattered shower or whatever the case might be. If you work outdoors, you know what I mean. I've already got that midsummer tan with the white lines on the face because I like sunglasses, that raccoon glare that I'm so uh, privy to. But I'm thankful for what I have. But this morning, I wanted to make sure that everybody knew, guys, I can't stay late today of all days. Not today. And so some will begin to ask, well, why? What do you got going on? I said, I've got some obligations at church. I just, I'm, I'm not able to. I've got to make sure I fulfill my obligations. Aren't you glad that I chose the right way? Amen. Otherwise, this cart would be quiet. So I began to, to get to work, and we would drive in separate vehicles, and we had to work a little bit of ways away. And so they got there, and throughout the day, I began to get asked some really strange questions. I brought up church, and I brought it up before, and I'm always curious as I feel the Lord is laying something on my heart, the interactions I have. I'm a very much a, a people person. That's why I look to you, and I, I try not to get too lost in notes, because as soon as I look down and start reading, I lose my connection, and I lose what I feel to be that passion and that drive to move forward. And so I began to um, uh, show up at the job, and those guys begin to ask questions throughout the day, and one of the first things they ask is, what's the difference between a Catholic and a Christian? And it was one of my buddies, and, and they asked enough questions. If they watch this, Jace and Jacob, I love you guys, and now you know what I do sometimes. Amen. And so they asked the question because he had been to a church on Easter, and first time one of my guys had been to church in quite some time, and 
I'm not quick at giving answers like that. that. That's a big question. And so I thought, well, a lot, yet sometimes not so much. And so I tried my best because, I, again, I saw when he lost connection, he started looking away, and I thought, better wrap it up. <laughs> Go ahead and wrap this answer up and move on. And so then I began to get asked because something wasn't going right, and I was like, man, I just, I, I tried to straighten things up, and I had a panel I was setting, and, and one guy came up to me, it was the other guy, and he said, hey, in your mind, do you cuss? Why don't you answer that, you sinners? <laughs> and I thought, I don't think so. And I, <laughs> I tried to go back to Scripture. The Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. So if you're not hearing me say it, I hope it's not the heart. Amen? All right. Thank you to the left side of the congregation. And so then one asked, what do you do for church? And I said, well, that's a big question. Another began to ask around lunchtime. I just traveled with one of them to lunch. Another guy stayed behind, and he said, how do pastors or main leaders ever get paid from leading a church? And I thought, my Lord, all I said was I had an obligation. And it was the biggest array of questions you don't begin to think about. And I know in youth class, and I know I've got it probably further down in my notes, but it makes you wonder sometimes, how would we get through questions and how will we ever grow a church if we don't know how to answer some of the simplest questions? I've looked over my life, especially in my, my, my yard and such, and if you'll just give me a moment to, to bear this out for a little bit. We've, we've got in our neighborhood where they, they decided to mess with our drainage ditches. If you've lived in Frankfurt for any amount of time, you'll realize that the water table is right below the surface. And if you like poke down a stick, you'll probably have a spring just come up out of nowhere. We're blessed with water, rusty water, but it's water, amen? And so last October or so, they began to dig out our drainage ditch where the water just naturally flows away from homes and then down a massive uh, ditch and, and into cauldrons and different things to where it will get rid of it and throw it into retention ponds like the one not so far away. And, and so they began to dig and dig and dig, and I began to think, like, this is, this is great, you know, we'll, we'll be out of our water issues. We'll, we'll stop having so much standing water in the yard. And I realized that what they began to leave me with was a gravel pit that I was going to have to try to some way, somehow grow some dirt on and grow some seed on. And so they began to plant seed. And then they took straw and they, they made these massive beds all through my neighborhood. It's just over here. You'll still see straw beds everywhere and like zero grass growing up. It was a great project. Listen, the water drains away, but the seeds you have to mess with yourself. And so with that, I began to think of the parable, and it really brings home when I go out and I look in my yard and we're able to mow, but I see so much that's not mowable, and it reminds me of when Jesus began to talk about that parable of the sower. And he began to say some seed fell on the wayside and some uh, fell on rocky ground, some among the thorns and some on good ground and sprang up and produced fruit. And I'm here to say, as most of our neighbors would contest, it's not easy to grow week after week, day after day, when you're looking at grass and all of that. But I wonder if we would look at ourselves for a minute and sometimes say, it's hard to grow every single week. If I can remind us to what our pastor has been preaching the past few weeks, I believe one of his titles is real close to cultivating a growth culture. And I'm, that might have been the whole series. I believe it was real close to that. And it got me wondering about the growth that we're supposed to see and, and how can we get to where we're growing with
with God. And, and I begin to uh, think back to those times in youth classes. I would begin to ask, could I explain what I believe? Could I begin to explain simply and, and maybe quicker than what I normally explain things? Could I explain the, the, the path of salvation or why it wasn't Jesus' doctrine? Why is it the apostles' doctrine? Uh, why do we follow the things that we follow? Why do we believe what we believe? I used to ask them all the time, could you guys explain that? Our youth class seemed real smart and intelligent, and they are, and I love them all to death. But when that question comes up, could you explain to me the oneness of God? There's quite a bit of silence, and I realize even in myself that I have growing to do constantly. Amen? And in order to grow a church, I have to make sure that I'm ready to go out as a grown piece of fruit or a tree that's planted by the river waters or all that the Bible says about me going out and, and going to the highways and the byways and compelling people to come. Amen? Most of us don't think of it like that, but you need to understand you might be the only Bible that your coworkers ever pick up. I know it's said cliche, but when I'm asked a simple question like, how do pastors get paid? Pastor's really good at stock markets. He got out at the right time with Bitcoin. He understood the Lord spoke to him. 65,000 zip. Now's your chance. Get your retirement. Or did it go back to the Levitical priesthood? And did it have steps and paths where we, we give a tithe? Because they won't ever understand tithing if they don't understand why God made that a thing. But but some will start with that. And they'll start with, well, why do we why are we apostolic? Why are we not a Jesus doctrine? And and some of us might not be able to answer that. Am I right? I heard it recently where somebody said, I, I even wrote it down. It was so uh, crazy to me. It's, it was said where they believe that the apostles were lost and weren't doing exactly what Jesus said. They were sinners. They got way off base in the book of Acts. They didn't do anything right. And then the question quickly becomes, well, how did they ever write the first four books of the New Testament? And how were they saved then but sinners when they wrote book number five? And it's just mind-blowing to think people will try their best to uh, uh, discern what truth is, and they make up their own truths, especially in this day and age where everything gets flipped around. What's, what's good is being called evil, and what's evil is being called good, and it really is a twisted mindset. And so through all of it, we have to learn how to grow. Amen? That's why it was written uh, after his death. Uh, so it was that all the apostles, everything that was written about that, is still part of truth in what we believe today. If it wasn't for that death, salvation wouldn't exist. And we mostly know that to be true. Some might be working through that. That's why we have Bible studies. That's why we have Path of Life. We're trying to grow ourselves. Amen? And so with that, I want to echo my pastor tonight. First and foremost, I hope that we are never, ever considered the greatest secret in Franklin. We ought not be a secret to one soul in this town. They should know where to go when times get tough, when salvation's on the line, when their souls matter. They should know. We should never be the biggest secret. Everybody knows about that church that's built out of a Carter Lumber across from Walmart. Most of them know we were the first big flashy sign in town. 
big old black thing with cool LED letters on it and everything, and we could make pictures on our sign, and then we saw others, maybe they ordered them the same time, but somehow they put them up right behind ours, and it began to be something we changed. So it's not that we're a secret, but it makes me wonder in our workplaces, do they know we go where we go? Do they know we believe what we believe? Are we growing ourselves? There was a time in the scriptures where it talks about fig trees and uh, there was a time where Jesus walked by one and began to curse the fig tree. Have you ever looked up a fig tree? Uh, uh, most of us think of, you know, Zacchaeus crawling up in it and different things, and we think of this tiny tree and a tiny man, but fig trees are massive. They are huge. It would uh, be nothing for a fig tree to be almost as big as this church, at least across. They're 60, 80, 100 feet wide, and, and they're massive branches. They not only protect things, but it was called a tree of wisdom because of the fruit that it would give and how people would congregate there to have different stories and parts of even Scripture written, written under a fig tree. It was a, a very big thing. So um, when, when we read about fig trees or about what God is doing in our lives, it, it matters that we grow our fruit and that we, we sprout into something more with God. We're not just all to ourselves and quiet. I want to say it like this. Lost people matter to God. The lost people in your world matter to God. If it matters to God, it should matter to us. Jesus called us friends when we lay down our lives, our own ambitions, and to connect with people to him. Amen? It's all about our desire for lost souls. You can have the best vision in the world, but you will never work at That vision will never come to pass unless I understand the value of lost souls and, and we get this culture where we want to grow everything we're in. You have to forgive me if I take my time sometimes. I do try to listen a little bit while I preach. John 15, we read it like this. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit, that your fruit should remain want everyone in this place to understand tonight God's desire for your life is that you take on a role of a minister. There's a common misperception in churches that churches are supposed to be 80-20. 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people and, and 80% of the people only do maybe 20% of the work and so we see the same faces doing a lot of things and we think well they've got it covered and there's no place for me but there really is a place for every one of us. And not only is there a place, but you're wanted and needed in your role. And it matters that we don't get beside ourselves and, 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 and just pass up the fact that you are supposed to be a minister. Why don't you say that real quick? I am a minister. One more time, as loud as you can, because I don't hear it everywhere. I am a minister. With that being said, I hope something will begin to turn in your life where you can understand the value of ministry. The word ministry itself is broken down to help. It simply means to help. In your world, you are to help. In all that you do, I'm to be a help. I drive my coworkers nuts. There's some that say, Brandon, you're too nice. I was just told on Monday, you're too nice, man. You're too nice. I don't remember in Scripture where it said that you can be too nice. I'll take it. You're not firm, you're not this, you're not that, fine. I'll, I'll take whatever whatever you want to say about me in that aspect, that's fine. I'll take it because I'm okay being nice. It beats the alternative. I'm trying to grow something different. I want to be looked at 
different, admired differently, not for myself's sake, but for his sake. I'm still ready for some people to come into this church that aren't expected to come into this church. I had an opportunity just this past weekend to be at a charity event um, with a, a high up level boss of ours, and and he knew about me, and, and they say some weird things, and I've talked about it before, and I, I, it's never to edify myself. I hope I make that clear, but the purpose of, of me going to the event was was not that I didn't have better things to do or not that I wanted to be seen, but I wanted, if God's going to open a door for me to have connection, then I'm going to step through the connection. I got to go bowling for this event. These guys were in leagues, man. They were great. Me, not so much. And so I began to bowl, and it might sound weird if you pray for every time you throw the ball, dear Lord. Just let this go down the middle, just just not the gutters. I know we paid for that part of the lane too, but I don't want that part. I just want the middle. And so I began to bowl and bowl great, and they said, man, Brandon, you should be on leagues. I said, oh, yeah, when's leagues? Oh, it's Sunday. I said, well, <laughs> appreciate that. Thank you. And I, I began to just, hopefully, my goal was to just be something more than the average. Was the setting right? No. Was it perfect? Probably not. But But my goal was, can I just reach a soul somehow? You understand that the Bible says that all will have the opportunity to seek salvation and to see him for who he is. Even those that believe in the Big Bang, the Bible will be revealed in some way, shape, or form, God himself, to every soul. And so it's my job when those opportunities are open, and it's your job. It doesn't mean we go into every bar trying to sit with every drunk and and, and find ways to reach to him. That's not what I'm talking about. But if he'll open a door to where you can go and minister and to help them with life, doesn't mean you tell them everything to do. And 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 I want to I want to somehow throw some rings around this, if I might. It doesn't mean that that you have an unbridled zeal. Some of us have an enthusiasm that can't be uh, held and 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 can be bagged up and stuff and. I want to remind you of some things. Does anybody know what I'm talking about when I say that? Let me break that down. Those are big words. I'll break this down the best I can. Sometimes when you get into church, you can't wait for God to use you. And it goes from a zeal or a desire and an an unending wish and hope and prayer and dream to where you're like, no, 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 I can't be stopped. You don't understand what he's saying to me. You don't understand that stuff, and and so we we get out of the will of God because we don't know timing. The truth is, like fruit trees, when you plant a fruit tree, you know what they say about a fruit tree? What's the best fruit tree to plant? They say one that was planted 20 years ago because the roots have to take place, and it takes a lot to prune it to make it successful and to make a vineyard or to make a grove or whatever the case might be. And, and they say that with fruit trees that the first three years you have to go out and begin to pluck all the fruit. As soon as it begins to blossom as a flower, you have to pluck those because it's important that the nutrients sink down into the root. And they stay into the tree, and it's not, it's not released too early. If you do that, they say your tree will be sick. It will never grow to fruition, and, and it will never have deep roots. And, and oh, it will look marvelous after just a few months or after a year or so. But if you don't take care of the tree right, it will die. So some that might be new that might not understand the process and why do we have to go through so much. Uh, and the truth is, in Luke 13, Jesus spoke it like this. He spoke this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in the vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. 
And he said to the keeper of the vineyard, Look, for three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and found none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? But he answered and said unto him, Sir, let it alone this year until I dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, well, but if not, after that you can cut it down and throw it into the fire. Sometimes, I'm not saying not to be a minister, but don't step out of your the will of God or what you're supposed to be doing. Does that make sense? Just because you want to usher and be a door greeter doesn't mean you just go up and start grabbing a plate and taking it up and taking it back and say, I'm not sure where the money goes, but we'll figure it out. There's process. There's process. You might not like that, so let me tell you one more that the Bible talks about. Paul seems like he came out of nowhere. Does anybody know the Apostle Paul? The Bible says, and I read it just a, a day ago, I don't even think it's in Scripture that I've got written down here, but the Apostle Paul did not like to be called the Apostle Paul. He said, I'm not deserving. I'm not like the others, but it's my calling, so I'll wear it. And so he supposedly came up out of nowhere and wrote 19 or so books out of the New Testament. And, and it was a man that was well-versed. He was well on his way to becoming a rabbi. The Bible says that he was blinded by God and sent to Ananias. And, and when he came to and when he could see again, he was able to start his journey, not complete it, but start it. This was Paul's first day in the church. His name might not have even been fully changed yet, but, but Paul was one that, that had everything going for him in the, the Jewish ways and, and not in the new revelation of Christ. And, and he would go out and find all these new Christians and pull them out of their homes and put them in prison and, and people that weren't living by the law. He was just a, a rough man, but he knew all of the rules and the law. He knew everything. So when Jesus revealed himself to him, the Bible says that he took three years, Galatians 1.18, then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him 15 days. Some of us want to make so much so quickly, but Paul, who was more or less the rabbi, knew the law, knew Jesus, knew everything about it, said, just know I am the law. You're good. He didn't say that. The Bible says that he took three years to get where he was supposed to be. I want to encourage some of you that might not get the process tonight. Growing takes time. There are people that have made a lifetime of coming to church three, four, five times a week, sometimes every night if, if you've possibly got some elderness to you where revival was just Sunday to Sunday. You've been here, and the question might be, why do we keep coming sometimes? It's because we're learning to grow. Little by little and piece by piece, we're learning to to grow together, and God will use you if you'll stay faithful to the process. Paul worked for three years by himself. He was still there, new convert or not, he didn't grow weary. We're trying, you to, uh, trying to help you realize that we need you, and we need you to be in a certain place. We need God to, to reveal that to us in some ways, that we are ministers. It's a simple message tonight. I'm not trying to, to make anybody even fall asleep. I just want us to know that we are growing, and our growth is dependent on us to become ministers. I want to tell you a story about growing and growth. When pastor began to preach, I, I instantly went back to biology. Anybody remember those Petri dishes? I had a, Everybody know what I'm talking about? Like the little things that you take the lid off of, and it had like this thin layer of, I think they said it was lamb's blood that they would 
take out a certain platelets or some sort of thing to where when you put uh, any type of, of culture in there, you could close it up and, and see what the culture would become over uh, uh, 14 days or 10 days or 7 days or whatever the case might be. And, and as pastor's talking about cultivating a growing church, it hit me and it struck me so funny. I used to have this buddy of mine. His name was Josh Knapp. And Josh was a weird, tall, lanky dude that we would sit on the bus together. And uh, my mom, for years, never let us rode the bus, and I thank her for that. Because around sixth grade, we started riding, and it was the weirdest, craziest experience. We were, we were at a very nice school and what we considered to be the best in the area. Um, but we didn't fit in like some of those kids. They had doctors and chiropractors and dentists and lawyers and all sorts of stuff. And we were just a good blue-collar family. And so we lived in the okay part of town, which now is not as okay as it used to be. But we lived there. It was fine. We enjoyed it. Our childhood was great. We had a, a nice big tree house. And, and Josh lived about two blocks away. And when I was a kid, two blocks was just far enough that you only saw him on the bus and at school. Those were friends. <laughs> Nowadays, some friends are like an hour away, and you FaceTime and chat them all the time, and you go see them like once a month. But when I was a child, it's like I'd show up on the bus, and some of those guys, man, at the back, they were just jerks. Bullying existed without the term. They were just, they were bullies. They were excited about a fight. They wanted you to just smack your head in the window and all sorts of just mess growing up. But but Josh would always save me a seat just a few rows back, and, and he'd show up in the morning. He'd have a smile on his face, and I'd sit down next to him. And, and again, so tall and lanky. He was he was thin in the middle of summer. He was he was so tall and so without nourishment, probably looking back on it, which makes me feel bad for him. But fingertips were just blue and ice cold. And and I remember this about Josh. Josh was a little crazy, and and he liked some of the things that I never could understand. I wasn't I wasn't the type of guy to um uh, really get into disgusting stuff. But we were in biology together. We sat by each other. I'll never forget. We dissected a frog and. Dissected a crayfish. Y'all ever dissect something? It has a distinct smell when it's done by scientists. <laughs> and it's, I believe, formaldehyde. And so we started with a crayfish. And when you begin to cut through that thing, it sounds like you're clipping fingernails. Just the grossest thing. And they pull open the shell. And I just sit there with Josh. And I'm just, oh, chin's crawling. I'm looking away like, did you find the spleen? Just tell me. I don't need to see it, Josh. Just tell me you found it. I'm going to write it down. Number six is good. What about the liver? And so that was Josh. And so we got to the frog, the same thing. And one of the most interesting things about a frog is their tongue's backwards. It starts at the mouth and goes inward. So they can flop it out and bring in stuff. And well, Josh had a fun time with the tongue and it would just string and open. And he's like, look, I got the lungs. And you'd see these. I looked over and I, I remember these little purple lungs. But this is disgusting. <laughs> the smell will never leave me. It'll haunt me forever. And then we got to Petri dishes, and they told us, they said three or six, or maybe it was three per person. We had six at a table. We were at a table together, and I was thankful for Josh because he just, man, he was, he was funny when I was very reserved, and, and, and we were just almost kind of opposites, but never in a mean way, just buddies. And uh, uh, so the teacher begins to say, okay, you can open a dish, and uh, you've got some Q-tips. I, I want you to take a Q-tip and, and find things to swipe around here and find things to... Um, uh, to get a hold of, and I don't know where my head jerks. This dude just swiped my ear. I thought, dear God, man, I hope I washed. So he puts it in the dish, and he's just laughing, puts the lid on it, puts the tape, and he goes, oh, stink. 
and I'm like, ah, this is 30 years ago, 25 years ago, whatever it was, and I'm thinking, this is going to haunt me the rest of my life. And so we sit there, and 10 days go by, and I'm thinking, all right, it was just an ear. And I come back, and if that thing wasn't the nastiest thing out of all six dishes, I told you that gross story because you need to know that you're growing something, not just physically, but spiritually, you are growing something. When I saw him put up, we're cultivating a growing culture, I thought, you know the problem? We don't realize that we're growing something, even if it's not the church. Something is growing from us, whether it's God or whether it's man or humanity or even the devil himself. We are growing something with our flesh. So it doesn't mean that we can just be half-hearted in our walk with God. We have to make sure that in everything we do, it's purpose-driven. It's with focus, saying, God, I am a minister. I'm going to do whatever I need to so that I can grow something with you. That's the problem. So many times we'll throw the lid on. You know they've done so many biodome experience, uh, experiments where they went out in the desert and they made this perfect sphere and, and they planted a bunch of things and, oh, it would grow and people could eat. And Look, we can, we can make our own world when our world disappears and all this stuff. And, and they realized that scientists would go in and, and one scientist was testing soil and barely touched a tree and the whole tree fell over. You see, that's, we think that we don't need adversity in different things, but the truth is that without the wind, the roots never grew. You know what makes a Petri dish not so bad is when you can leave the lid open and let God inside a little bit, and not so much nasty grows, and it, it kind of helps dry things out, and it makes it a little more palatable to see what your sin or what your life might be. So I'm trying to tell us that we need to understand it's important. We're not just in a sphere, a dome, a Petri dish, that we're cultivating something with the lid off that he might have access to and be able to put his part on it and his fingerprints touch it so our life grows something that's worth anything at the end of the day. Amen? It matters that we grow ourselves as ministers of God. I'm not telling you you ain't got to talk to a pastor or or one of us uh, others that help our pastor, the teams. There's there's layers that we we work with each other. We try to make sure that that people just, there's times I get told, stay in my lane. That's okay. I'm not the pastor. I don't have to decide what happens with the door greeters. I stay in my lane. Hello? I don't have to decide who's cleaning the church and if so-and-so's sick, who's going to replace them. I don't have to decide sound. And thank God I don't have to decide music. I don't know how she does it. When altar call comes, she has to think, and, and they look at each other, her and my wife sometimes, and they're just like, I, I think this, what do you think? And then they look at me, yeah, it sounds great. I'll play a B. I'll play a B, then I'll go to an E, and then a G, and then back to a B. And we'll have a great time. So I'm okay staying in my lane. You need to understand the value of your lane. It doesn't mean you don't do stuff. It just means it's okay to have parameters on what you're doing for God. Some people that are so desirous, well, I want to have every gift of the Spirit. I want to have every uh, uh, the fivefold ministries. I want to be all that stuff. And I want to be like uh, Bishop Gonzalez. And I, I want to claim this and I want to claim that. And I want to stand before the masses. And I want God to do all this stuff. It's okay that you just take time with your neighbor and tell them who God is. It's okay, Bob down the street, I've talked about him a lot. If he ever tunes in, I, he'd probably tell me about him. So I don't think he listens, but... When Bob heard about our, our friends of, uh, that were down in Mexico that died and they were related to, to families here, to Liz and different things of that nature, he called me up. He goes, Brandon, did you hear about that? I said, absolutely, Bob. I heard. He goes, 
I think it was our next door neighbor. I haven't seen him move in two days. And I thought, my God, I, I hope not. Like, I know them, but I hope it's not. Our, I, I didn't know last names. Who knew? He said, the truck hasn't moved. I haven't seen any of the kids. He calls back about two hours later. My bad. <laughs> my bad. They're here. And it clicks with me yet again. Bob still cares. Bob still cares. Brother Terry Shock, a man I love and treasure in life, he said it pretty powerfully. I'm going to try to skip down the best I can to, to read it the way he wrote it because it was powerful words. But he made mention of it one time where he would go up to elders that were very close to him and he would say things to him like, you know, don't, and he, he, he prefaced it right because I don't ever want to be disrespectful, but he said, don't die until you die. As long as you have air in your lungs and you have the ability to function, God still has a place in his kingdom for you to minister. It's imperative that we don't give up until that last breath escapes our body. It's imperative through all situations. Well, I've got hurt. I get that. Don't be a victim. I, I've, got, I've got some bitterness. I get that. Let's go ahead and let, let's let the air out. Let's let God in. I've got these different things. That's fine, but don't say, well, I'm too old. I paid my dues. No, we haven't. I still am not worthy of one ounce of grace that he gives me. I'm not uh, responsible in any way, shape, and form for one bit of salvation that God would grant us. So it's not up to me to retire or say, well, I've already done that. You realize I, I, we added it up, and, and it was uh, something I, I love and cherish in my life. We were in youth ministry for like 17 years. We were in it long enough that Haley that's here was born when we were like messing around in youth ministry like 15, 17 years ago. Chad came out of our ministry. The numbers, the faces, Josh came out of the ministry that we were a part of for years. It's not time that I give up. It's not time. And now, thankfully, they, they might have been done with me. <laughs> they might have said, that guy's touching 40. We need to move. And I, listen, whatever it was, I'm thankful that God talked to pastor and we have Brother Evan and Brother Chad that can help out with the things that I no longer could do. Amen? I'm not upset about that stuff. I don't regret it. But I'm not putting it in the bag either and saying, well, I've done my part. No, I, I'm pushing them. And I'm trying to say that they're still the ones you go to. They're the ones that are going to lead the charge. And it's now up to me to get behind them. And we go to youth rallies. Hello? We still go to camp meetings. We still go to master rallies when we can. We miss this one. But we go to all these events saying, now it's time to push the next generation. Now it's my time to make sure that if they need anything at all, I can minister to them. We don't have opportunity to quit or throw it in and say that I'm not going to do what God's called me to do. There was two people I want to talk about. I'm going to close this as best I can. If you'd like to come on music, I'm okay with that. Amen. I remember hearing the story 20 years ago of a man named Larry Clark. He was best friends with Anthony Mangan. There's probably some people that don't know who Anthony Mangan is, but he's a big name in the UPCI movement, big name in Pentecost. Has a church of probably 3,000. He now is a bishop of that church because he's probably close to 70, might, not, might be right at 70, and has passed it on to the next generation. Now, nobody questions him. He's led the movement. He's uh, been invited and, and 
turned down multiple roles to be in leadership. He could have easily been our, our general superintendent. He just has an air about him that's command and leadership and just spews out, uh, uh, just people will follow him. He's just a great leader. And, and yet his best friend was Larry Clark. And I remember Larry Clark 20 years ago, I had the opportunity to meet him. And uh, as he was being introduced, Anthony Manga was in this little class that we had. There was 11 of us guys, and we had the chance to just hear about Larry Clark. And he goes, I want you guys to know something. He goes, POA is not what it is today without Larry Clark. And he began to open up the, the, the scene for him as he was going to teach us for the next hour about Bible studies. And he goes, I want you to know Larry Clark is somebody that is dear and near to me. And we grew up together. And and, and he's been everything that I could have ever wanted in a best friend. He goes, I didn't have brothers and sisters, and so this man right here was my, my best friend, a brother of mine, really. And so he turned it over to Larry Clark, and Larry Clark, uh, in his very humble way, a lot of times would begin to cry as he would talk, and, and uh, just a short guy, not a, a, an amazing stature to him or anything else, but he just said, you got to love souls. He taught a class on soul winning. He said, you got to be about people, man. you gotta, you got to make sure. Let's train them up. Let's show them why you need to be baptized and the value of baptism and, and to make sure they understand uh, the importance of the Holy Ghost. And here's how you do it, and, and here's how we, we go about it. And, and then he began to talk about his life. And Larry Clark was a person that um, had a very successful family, worth millions. They had a furniture business, and in Alexandria it was one of the only ones and. Everybody would come in there and buy their furniture. And, and so God began to speak to Larry Clark, said, man, I want to use you. Larry, I want to use you. I, I, I've got great things for you. And Larry's like, yeah, I, I'm here, Lord. I'm here. Just use me however you need to. He said, I don't think you understand. I want to use you. I want to take you out of that position you're in. And it's like Larry began to almost fight with the Lord. Lord, this, I'm blessing the church. I'm giving more than I could ever imagine without this. I am, I'm doing all I can for you. And so... God didn't really speak back according to Larry Clark. He just kind of let him be. And so for the next five or so years, Larry Clark, his whole business went down to where they had to live week by week. They fired all their employees. They let go of everybody. Now it was just family. Nobody was coming in. All of a sudden, everybody stopped shopping there. It was the only place in town still. And this was back in the 80s, 90s. And, and it was a time where there wasn't online. There wasn't Amazon. It wasn't just a free market out there with Wayfair. You had to go to whatever was close. But everybody stopped going to the Clark's furniture store. So he went back to God and he said, Lord, what have you done to me? What are you doing? Why am I facing so much battles? And God began to speak, Larry, I want you. And so he said, okay, I'll do whatever it takes. I'll do whatever it takes. And so God began to use him. And Larry knew I've got to start a Bible study. And I've got to find a way to, to get to where I'm changing people's lives. And he understood the value of being a minister. And so as he began to teach and, and go, the, the, the furniture would store would stay open week by week. It never grew, but it would stay open week by week until finally they got to a position where they said, Larry, we're going to pay you, but we don't need you here. We're making money. We're doing great. So, so things are starting to roll back, and we want you to still be on the board. We want you to be a part, but you don't have to be here every day. And, and just do part-time to where Larry decided, okay, now I can focus. If God's going to use me, then so be it. And when he told us this story back in 2004, Larry had given over 10,000 Bible studies. So when Anthony Mangan stands up there and says, this church wouldn't be what it is without Larry Clark. You two guys born in the same town, the same humble beginnings, 
the same pastor, one happened to be a father of the man. Brothers, in a sense, great parents, yet their lives look so vastly different. One the world would know would be renowned to everyone, while the other one was slowly trying to make sure that ends would meet and do the will of God. I hope you understand it's not about your end in this world and where you end up in your financial blessing or what the world might say about you. If you'll just get a mindset that I'm a minister, I'm a person that's that's got to find ways, and God, if you'll open doors, I'll teach out of my home, or Lord, if you'll find a way, I'll, I'll do witnessing at my work or, or at the school or whatever the case might be. Lord, whatever it takes, I've got to be a minister. I have to be a help to the kingdom. 10,000 fold. Yet none of us have ever heard of one report. Tonight I hope that you'll even go back and listen to what pastor preached and taught. The past three or four Wednesdays. Some of it was hard to take because it hit home. It stepped on my toes. There are times where it just felt like, my Lord, why don't you just say my name? It's right to me. That doesn't mean I'm not trying to grow. That doesn't mean I didn't need to hear it. He might not have even known who he's talking to. Sometimes when we think our pastor knows all of our business, he's just preaching the word of God and God's using him. And he's ministering. So when people might not know your business, it's okay. Or you might not know theirs, that's fine. Just minister. I'm here for you, brother. I tell my guys at work all the time, I have one guy, he's, uh, and I've talked about him a lot. If he watches it, so be it. I hope he knows I love him. But he looks up to me. He lost his father to a cancer just a couple years ago, and his father left him a lot of money. He moved to Lafayette. He's got no family here. He's dating a girl in Purdue. He's looking to make a life with her and looking to make a change. And, and he's like, well, I grew up in a Christian school. I know all about it, but they tried to push this, that, and the other, and I just couldn't stand it. And yet he's the one that asked today, do you cuss at your mom? Because you don't say it. But what's up here? I don't know how these doors are going to get open. But if I'm not focused on growing who I am in him, they never will open. We've been on this earth and we've seen it long enough. Those that are seasoned in, in Christ and in church, if you don't focus on every word that you say and trying to make every moment count, and looking bigger than today, the Bible says that we toil every day. It's work is just a toil. It's not so that you can get rich and retire and somehow beat the death and all. you're just going to be worth millions forever and ever and ever. No, we do it to keep us busy until he comes. It's a way to occupy until he comes. And so I can't look at work as this is what I have to do. No, I get to because it's a place where I have to minister grocery store now becomes a place where I have to minister. My son, when we go to certain restaurants, Mo, I love him to death, and he, he knows when I talk about him, so stop tattling on me. He doesn't watch it online, but somebody tells him. I don't like that, because <laughs> I love that boy. I don't want him to change, but he'll tell me when we go to a place, and he'll notice name tags just like I try to. Man, I try to be about people. When I notice a Teresa, I remember a Teresa not that long ago, a waitress, and and he could tell me the restaurant. It might have been Vintage Cafe, but he'll remember remember when she was like this, Dad, and remember how she said this and, and what she was like. And 
we talk about Applebee's where there's, there's so many that we try to touch their lives. We're just trying to, that's why small groups matter, Sister Chelsea. That's why what you're doing matters, and we can't give up on these groups, the change groups that matter, Brother Chad, the, the layers that we're trying to provide ministry for. All you have to do is say, why don't you come with me? We've got to get past where we don't think we need it, so let's not go. Trust me, a youth rally is not meant for me anymore, according to the UPCI and everybody else. But I got to go and I got to minister. Those words still touch me because it's the word of God. Stand with me. titles, but for our ministry, if you wouldn't mind, maybe just come forward and make a step towards God, not towards me, but towards the altar, a place where we can change. I want us to pray together. I won't keep you all night. I've went longer than I said I would, and I'm sorry for that. If you don't want to, I'm not going to force you to stay right where you are. That doesn't affect me, but you'd like to join us, I, I hope that the body of Christ, and we're all a part of that body, that, that we can feel some unity in this place. If, if you're comfortable, you can reach over maybe a spouse is next to you or a, uh, another guy, a guy, a girl, a girl, and, and you feel comfortable that we can lay hands, and we're going to pray that God would help us to minister. Every time I get ready to speak or to preach, I'll have some weird, crazy things begin to happen in my life. I'll get asked, what's the difference between Catholic and Christian? I'll get told by somebody, can you help me pray for my mom? She's dying. There's stage four this and there's there's that. And I'll have these weird circumstances. I'll go into a grocery store and I'll start a conversation with a, a checkout person out of nowhere. And I'll realize that there's more to their life because I'm trying to just minister. Become ultra sensitive. But I hope and pray that I'm that way even when it's not behind the pulpit. When this doesn't become my, my everything to where God can use me daily regardless to pray that God would begin to open doors for us to grow and to minister. Why don't you lay hands on your neighbor? Let's begin to pray that together. Lord, have your way tonight. Lord, have your way, God, I pray in all that we've done. I thank you, Lord. I truly do from the bottoms of my heart for this church, not just the building, but the assembly, God. Lord, I thank you for the people of this place, God, that they've ministered to me, Lord. They picked me up when I was down, God. Lord, they put a hand on my shoulder when I felt like nobody cared, God. I pray, help us to minister every day. Lord, help our minds and our hearts to be drawn towards ministry, God. Let us be lost in your word and in prayer daily, partaking of your bread of life, God. I pray, Lord, that you would speak ever clear, Lord, in our lives. Lord, begin to use us in ways, Lord, not in condemnation, Lord, but let our lives be that they might change. Lord, we know you're coming soon, God. I pray, let Frankfurt, let Lafayette and Kokomo, Lord, and these surrounding areas, God, I pray, let there be ministers, let there be fires that are started throughout these areas in Flora, in Delphi, in Monticello, Lord. You know every heart, every mind. Lord, even in Fishers, God, I pray, begin to start fires, Lord, that we minister. Let lives begin to be changed. 
That's it, church. Cry out for just a moment. Lord, we pray, have your way in us, God. Lord, let me be like Larry Jesus, I pray. Open doors for me to teach, God. Open doors, God, for me to witness and to win souls for your kingdom. Your word says, he that win his souls is wise. Lord, you call us friends. Lord, if we're not servants, you're telling us, God, what to do. his heart to us tonight. What a timely word. You know, he talked about all of us being ministers. We think of ministry. We think of pastors. We think of assistant pastors, family pastors. But that's not it at all. The Bible says it like this, that many are called, but few are chosen. And what we've got to understand is that no matter what we think, we didn't choose God. He chose us. He chose us. Well, I, I, I'm the one that decided to come to church. Yes, that may be it, but God orchestrated the moment that you decided to come to the house. You understand what I'm saying? We didn't choose him. He, he chose us. And so in that aspect, thank you so much for that. We have to grow because if we are not growing, we are dying. It's, 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 there's there's no, no time for this. Well, I've been in it 20, 30, 40, 50 years. That's great. Pastor Brandon talked about it, moving out of, out of youth ministry into a, a different season of ministry. It doesn't matter how long that you've been serving God. God's just moving you from one season to another. And it's not time to stop because the moment that we stop, we start to die. I don't know about you, but I want to grow in the Lord. I want to grow in what God has called me.